0: Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Wednesday, December 2nd, we are studying Isaiah chapter 64, verses 1 through 9. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, the prophet prays, and we pray along with him. But what happens when the Lord comes down? Isaiah preaches both law and gospel to us in this Advent text today. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Matt Ulmer. Pastor Ulmer serves at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Bishop, Texas. Pastor Ulmer, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Good morning. Pastor Ulmer, we've got the text for Advent 1, the first Sunday in Advent Series B, which is the series that we are in right now if you're using the three-year lectionary so this is the Old Testament reading for Advent one of this year Isaiah 64 1 to 9 we looked at Isaiah 2 1 to 5 yesterday which was the the reading for series a so we're in a totally different section of the book of Isaiah today chapter 2 yesterday chapter 64 today what do we need to know about Isaiah as a whole the context as you get later in the book what happens in the book of Isaiah? as we prepare to look at chapter 64 verses 1 to 9 today.
1: Yeah, so Isaiah is a is a character where he is doing his prophesying in Judah around the time of when the Assyrian army came down and conquered the northern kingdom. And when I when the book of Isaiah starts, he's doing his ministry in the south under King Ahaz, and he uh, has interactions with Ahaz, and he prophesies to Ahaz uh, the famous text like the, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and all that's in that the section of the book. And then uh, the Assyrians, after defeating the northern kingdom, they come down to the southern kingdom, and Ahaz kind of makes a deal with the devil, with the Assyrians, to get them to leave. And they do, uh, but... Uh, The Assyrians end up coming back, and kind of the the middle of Isaiah, you have uh, Isaiah prophesying under the reign of King Hezekiah, and when the Assyrians come back and attack uh, Judah uh, under Hezekiah, this is where you get Hezekiah's prayer, and in God telling Hezekiah to uh, be still, and And know that he is God, and and Hezekiah being a good king listens to uh, God, listens to Isaiah, and this is the wonderful passage where God comes down and wipes out the Assyrian army, and uh, many, many thousands of Assyrians die, and they leave Judah, and the Assyrians never come back to Judah, and kind of in world history, the Assyrian army, they kind of they're kind of devastated by this blow, and they never they never kind of come to the strength that they once were. And after the defeat uh, of Assyria in Judah by Yahweh, you have this wonderful text where, well, it's wonderful or absolutely devastating, depending Mm. on what side of it you are on, where an envoy from Babylon comes to Jerusalem, and Hezekiah shows the Babylonian envoy the riches that are contained inside of Jerusalem, and Isaiah prophesies that they will be coming uh, next and that's kind of that leads into the end of the book, where there's a bunch of prophecies and, and prayers and, and utterances of Isaiah that kind of foreshadow the the pain and turmoil that the people are going to undergo by the Babylonians, and that ends up happening with the with the Babylonian captivity and the exile.
0: So the second part of the book of Isaiah, if we could divide it into to two chapters, one through thirty-nine really deal with things that happened during Isaiah's own lifetime. And his ministry and lifetime was pretty extensive. The dates that yeah. the Lutheran service Books suggest go from 740 BC to almost 680 BC. So this is a long time that Isaiah is working as a prophet there in Judah. The names of the kings in which he worked under are listed at the very beginning of the book. So we know that he has a long time, but what he does starting in chapter 40... And, and using that moment with the Babylonian envoy as sort of the transition, chapter 40 really begins to speak then of the future, of days that will come after Isaiah looking toward, as you said, the Babylonian exile and even beyond that to the return yeah. from Babylonian exile. And and so in these these latter chapters of Isaiah – 40 through 66, and you could even maybe mark a division at at chapter 55 as well, having two sections here, sort of the, you've got a lot of talk of the servant of the Lord in that first section, and and then more, again, more future looking in this part that we are in today. We're we're all dealing with things that happened after Isaiah's lifetime. And again, as you said, a lot of messianic talk. And so you can see why. Isaiah is going to show up in the season of Advent and, and not just this section, the whole book, as we we said yesterday with Pastor Beck, Isaiah sometimes is called the fifth evangelist because he's got these such clear pictures of who Christ is, of what his ministry is like, and particularly his death and his resurrection. And today's text isn't is going to be no exception to that. Even the very first verse, which I mentioned in the introduction, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. There's a, an Advent connection that the Lord is coming down. And so I think we've got a, a real good setup here for this Advent text. Any more introductory comments before we start looking at this particular text from chapter 64?
1: No, I, I think that pretty well sums it up.
0: All right. So Isaiah 64, 1 to 9, the prophet writes, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down that the mountains might quake at your presence as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil to make your name known to your adversaries and that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down. The mountains quaked at your presence from of old. No one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. You meet him who joyfully works righteousness, those who remember you in your ways. Behold, you are angry and we sinned. In our sins we have been a long time, and shall we be saved? We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. There is no one who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us, and have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. Be not so terribly angry, O Lord. And remember not iniquity forever. Behold, please look, we are all your people. That is the text for today, Isaiah 64, 1 to 9. Some really fantastic images in this text, Pastor Ulmer. Lots of very just picture language here that we've got. The first picture in that very first verse, and it's a really, it's a prayer that we've got here at the beginning. Isaiah prays, yeah. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Take us into this picture that Isaiah begins to paint here.
1: Yeah, I think maybe even the first place to start here with this text is understanding that, yes, this is a prayer, and the prayer actually starts in Isaiah 63, verse 15. And uh, in the beginning of the prayer, Isaiah talks about how. The the people and their sin have strayed from God, and in Isaiah 64-1, Isaiah is kind of of pitching a solution to the people's sin and faithlessness, that Yahweh, that God would come down and be present with them. And uh, he he does note here what it's like when Yahweh shows up in creation, the mountains quake. the brushwood gets uh, light on fire. Water water boils because uh, God's presence is holy and it's mighty and it's powerful. Um, you have different images of of God when He shows up in creation all over the New Testament. I think from just, just uh, off the top of my head, you have all the wonderful images of what happens when God shows up. Ah, uh, during the the period of the Exodus, where God shows up to Moses, and and the bush is on fire but not being consumed, you have. Uh... The earthquakes and, and the rumblings at Mount Sinai, when the covenant's given, you have the the splitting of seas in God's presence to save His people. And in Isaiah, in this passage, is calling upon God to show up in these spectacular ways that His people might see and believe.
0: So, a couple of thoughts, Pastor Omar. the The context of this is important. Back in in sixty three fifteen, this longer prayer of which we read only a part today in, in 64. So it, it's as if the, the people are looking around at this time. And again, we're, we're putting this in the context of the exile and return, of which Isaiah is speaking ahead of time. And they're wondering, Lord, where are you? Uh, Lord, yeah. what are you doing? Why are we not seeing these mighty acts of old? And I think you're exactly right to to think of the Exodus event and all of the images that surround that. You've got a lot of connections here. The idea of well, I mean, and I think we'll come back to the rending the heavens. You know, tearing the heavens open is is the picture here. the the clouds part, and you see Yahweh, you see the Lord who is coming down. So, and and when he comes down, mountains quake. So not only you know the Exodus, but what follows from that. Mount Sinai, think think of the spectacular events that are happening there when the Lord comes down on the mountain to speak his word to his people. And so as, as Isaiah prays and leads the people in this prayer, this is what's running through their mind. Lord, do this again, come back, help, help us once more, as you did in the days of the Exodus, do that for us now in this time of the exile again you've got the image of fire the burning bush comes to mind of course the fire around the fiery mountain there mount sinai lots of lots and, of images that are very familiar from the, the pillar, old testament the pillar of
1: fire by night
0: sure right i mean the, the leading of the pillar of fire by night now now all of this as we, we consider that historical background and the scriptural passages that isaiah is calling to mind here I think invites the question and you and I were, were talking a little bit about this before we came on air. Do you really want God to come down? <laughs> yeah. And the, and the reason is because well, when God comes down and you are on his side, you are his people, then he comes down to fight for you. But when he comes down and you are his enemy and, and Isaiah even brings up the term, you know, your adversaries there in verse two, well, the Lord yeah. is, is coming down in judgment against you. And, and so I think part of what we see in this prayer, both in that context that comes before and in what we read today, is some reflection upon that. What does it actually mean for the people of Israel to the Lord, for him, for him to come down? Is that going to be a, a good thing for them? I think it, that's, that's a moment of reflection on, on that.
1: Yeah, and, and I, I think, like many things in theology and many things in the Bible— I think it all, always depends on where you're at. And from the perspective of the Israelites, I think it can be seen from both angles. Because even though the events haven't happened yet in the history of Israel, Isaiah is kind of looking into the future, into a day where, where God's presence amongst the people has been sharp, harsh judgment. I mean, we hear because of the evil deeds of King Manasseh that God had a a plan to punish his people, and he was not going to relent from that punishment. And what that punishment meant was that uh, a foreign invading army was going to knock down the walls of Jerusalem, that the leader of that army was going to come in and and brutalize people and and take people out of their homes and take them to the land that they did not know, and that... um, they were going to live in, in a foreign land, and during that period of time, there there would be some some miracles. There would be some events pointing to God's presence amongst His people, because He never does leave His people. But I think you could classify the time of, as, of the exile as a time where there was a lot of silence from God. Hmm. So from that perspective... Um, God's presence among this people would be a presence of judgment, and, and maybe Isaiah is calling upon God for that presence to, to be um, condemning and uh, cause the people to repent of their of their godless ways, because the reason why they were going to go into exile is because they uh, chased after other gods, and Manasseh in particular allowed that... Um, idol worship
0: to persist manasseh could have been the king who killed isaiah tradition i believe suggests that manasseh s- used a, s- a saw right to to saw isaiah and two i believe is is what tradition suggests so i when, i believe that's correct yeah so manasseh was not a not a good king of israel by any means even though he had one of the longest reigns for the people of judah yeah. and and so there is and this think, go ahead
1: and I think from scripture, he might even be classified as the worst king.
0: <laughs> sure, sure. And, and yeah, in, in many respects, he, he is yeah he's a really bad guy. And and what happens under his reign leads directly to the destruction of Jerusalem in 50, 587, 586 BC under the Babylonian Empire, which again is where we are with this text, Isaiah is speaking about it ahead of time. And I think you see a, a change in perspective from the people of Israel. And, and here I've got in mind some of those Old Testament readings that we heard toward the end of the last church year, Amos chapter five and Zephaniah chapter one, where the day of the Lord is spoken about in really terrifying ways. You know, the Lord's going to come down and bring judgment, not on the enemies of his people, but on his people because his people have become his enemies. And, and now in this prayer, and I think you see this also, say, in the book of Lamentations as well, and in some of the other literature that comes to us from either during the exile or right after the exile, you see this spirit of repentance within the within that literature, because the people recognize that the Lord has brought that day upon them. He has brought that condemnation upon them, and now they've turned in repentance and and in that repentance, they're looking for him to come as their savior because they realize they've sinned and they need his mercy. They need his grace. They need a salvation. And he's the only place that that they can turn. They've experienced the, the hammer of his law. That's a picture that Jeremiah yeah. uses. And now they know that he's the only place that they can turn for salvation. And I think what you've got here is I mean, that's the attitude of this prayer when Isaiah says, Rend the heavens and come down, save us once yeah. more as you did in the days of the Exodus. And,
1: yeah, and I and I completely agree with you because I think over the course of this prayer, you you have this image where repentance is going to change the presence of God from the terror that it can be in the alien work of God to the presence of God that is saving. I mean, you you have a lot of kind of imagery that's similar to. Um, like the Judges, where the people, the people chased after other gods, and God allowed other nations to come in and punish his people, and then they realized that they had sinned, so they cried out to God, and then God sent a Savior. Um, his presence went from uh, being uh, condemnation, uh, his presence went from being the people's enemy, to his presence being um, a saving force. And the only source of their life. And I think you get that. You do get that switch here in this prayer in Isaiah 64.
0: And, and I, I don't, hopefully it's not too early to do this, but I I think we, we have to right now start to at least make the move toward the New Testament before we leave some of these images behind and to see how all of these things come to fruition and fulfillment and mm-hmm. what our Lord does in his son, Jesus Christ. And it, it doesn't take too much looking in the New Testament to start to see these images. So, as you think about the life, the ministry, the death and resurrection of Jesus, Pastor Elmer, where do you see this rending of heavens and mounting mountains quaking at the presence of the Lord?
1: Oh man, where where do you even want to start? <laughs> I mean, you you have all of the the miracles and the wonderful presence with. The, the in inbreaking of god into his creation the incarnation of jesus christ i mean you you have the wonderful you have the wonderful image on christmas the the day that advent is leading up to where yahweh does break into his creation and angels sing and wise men from afar come and worship but you also have images of of people wanting um to harm him because he is a threat to their power and then you have Jesus in his ministry doing all sorts of of wonderful miracles commanding creation changing water into wine and multiplying food and and walking on water and you have the transfiguration and his baptism where you have the presence of God the Father kind of shaking creation with his voice and um you, you have the image that happened a couple – by the time that this uh, episode airs a couple weeks ago, where you have the Matthew 25 image where Jesus is prophesying about his own return, where he comes in the clouds and the trumpets blast, and the entire world Uh, witnesses his coming and declares that Jesus is Lord. And in that moment, you have this this same kind of feeling where, for some, that declaration of Jesus is Lord, that Mm -hmm. declaration that Yahweh's presence in his creation again is a terrible, terrible law, because it means their condemnation. And for his people that presence is is a wonderful joy and a wonderful moment of salvation you have you have these kind of things all over the new testament
0: yeah i think i mean the rending the heavens you mentioned jesus baptism i can't remember which of the evangelists it is one of them i think uses this image of the of the heavens actually being torn open for the voice yeah. of the father to speak and for the spirit to descend as a dove. So that's, that's certainly there. And even, I mean, as you said, Christmas, the, the amazing thing about Christmas is that the, the rending of the heavens that happens there and God coming down would have gone completely unnoticed <laughs> had, had not the Lord sent the angels to the shepherds to announce the good news, which is just a, a fantastic thing. And, and I think begins to show how in our Lord Jesus Christ, This word from Isaiah 64, this prayer is answered in, you know, to to use the language of verse three in, in a way that people weren't looking for. Yeah. This was, this was the, the judgment of God coming down in mercy as, as strange as that may sound in, in Christ, the judgment of God comes in mercy and, and that's just a, a fantastic thing. And over and over again, I think the, the place where you see it, perhaps most, to use the image of mountains quaking, is this, is, is that our Lord's crucifixion and resurrection? There are two oh, earthquakes. Yeah. The, the rocks shake and split upon the Lord's death. And then there's this great earthquake on the day of our Lord's resurrection, ultimately to show that, yes, God has rent the heavens. He has come down for the sake of saving sinners, and that's what he's yeah. done in his son Jesus Christ.
1: Yeah, and in all the same, while he was in his earthly ministry, his his presence and his preaching wasn't always good news to everybody who heard it. Because for the people who rejected him, his presence was um, was nothing but a, a nuisance and uh, and terrible. Mm. So, I mean, you through the entire life of, of Jesus, you have um, his presence being both uh, law and gospel. And um,
0: Sure, and, that, and key, that's, a, that's a, key, a key thing to see. And I, you mentioned the Matthew 25 text, the judgment of the sheep and the goats that we heard at the end of the last church year, as being an example to that, that the the return of Christ on the last day is a great joy to his church, but is a great terror to to unbelievers. And the same is true here for those who mm-hmm. who come before the lord in repentance and we'll we'll talk about that part of the text probably on the other side of the break they receive god as gospel, they receive him as, as the one who comes to save them because they're not relying on themselves. They're not trying to to fight against him. They're they're fighting against their sin instead. Whereas those who, who receive God as the as the enemy, well, they receive him as their enemy and they fight against him. And it is a fight that they simply cannot win. You, yeah. you just don't fight against the creator of all things and, and beat him. He comes down and the mountains, shake water boils because of the fire in his presence. This is, yeah. if, if you will be his enemy, that is who you receive. But when you well, receive him in repentance, yeah. he comes as, I mean, he, he comes as your friend and, and those things actually end up like the fire falls on him, which is the good news of the cross. The, the it, it is. Ah, and go ahead.
1: I, I mean, I, I hate, hate to keep on going back in, in the text from, from series a, but you get this image I at least think you get this image very, very clearly in the parable of the talents, where the the two servants who who take the gifts of the master and put them to use, they see them as uh, grace and gospel, they get a master who is gracious and full of life. For the servant who sees God's presence as a terror, what does he get? He gets a master whose presence is a terror. Hmm.
0: Right. You, you God gives you what you ask for. I mean, this is, this is the, exactly. This is the tragedy.
1: He he gives you what you ask Yes.
0: Yes. Which is the the ultimate tragedy of unbelief is that this is what you've asked for from God. You've you've asked for a God who, who is your enemy. And so he gives you that. I mean, we saw it with Pharaoh in the Exodus. We see it with Jesus enemies. And of course to, so lest we, we fail to point the finger back at ourselves, we see it in our own sinful natures. When, when we would ask for God to be an, I mean, there's always, repentance for all of us in this so that, so that we can receive the Lord who, who comes as our savior on whom the fire falls for our sake. Um, You know, from of old, I love this in verse four, just real quick here before the break from of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No, eye has seen a God besides you, which is certainly true. You think of all the majestic things that God did throughout the old Testament. You could not fail to, but hear or see that this is the one true God. And, and now, as we think it through Advent and, and Christmas, which comes, well, the word has become flesh so that when you look at Jesus, you see God. And when you hear Jesus, you hear God. The word has become flesh. All of this is, is just pointing us over and over again to our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to let you respond, Pastor Elmer, but, but first we're going to take our break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Wednesday, December 2nd. We're studying Isaiah chapter 64, verses 1 through 9 with Pastor Matt Ulmer. He serves at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Bishop, Texas. Pastor Ulmer, prior to the break, we were just getting really excited here, connecting verses 1 through 4, particularly to our Lord Jesus Christ and the ministry that he has given us of salvation. And I kind of uh, ended the ended the first half just going on about that didn't really give you much a chance to respond. So what else is there in there versus one through four, particularly that we need to, to pick up and notice?
1: Yeah, I think in, in verse four, uh, my, my response to, to your statement at the, the end of the last segment was to understand that in this prayer, Isaiah is appealing to Yahweh um, because he understands that Yahweh is not like the rest of the gods of human beings. Whereas the, the experience of of the gods that human beings had worshipped in the past, and, and the the gods that even the Israelites were worshipping, which caused them to go into exile, all those gods were kind of Angry and, and petty and vindictive, and human beings and, and their worship and their their offerings and their prayers were always directed to kind of appease them, um, to earn salvation for the human beings, to earn um, favors from those gods. But here Isaiah is appealing to, to Yahweh, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God who is not requiring his people to to act in ways um, that please God, but a God who who comes down and uniquely acts to save his people. I mean, this is the God who, when his people were... um, when his people kind of fell into sin, he was the God who came down... And, and slaughtered an animal, and made the blood sacrifice to make clothes for his people. It was this God that, when his people were enslaved in Egypt, came down with a mighty uh, arm and an outstretched hand, and kind of took his people out of the land. This was their God who came in and gave them the land that he had promised to the forefathers. And and Isaiah is appealing to this God who who comes down and not expects things from his people, but who does things for them
0: that's that's a really important point that the one true god the lord is the one who gives that is who he is at his nature i mean you see it from the very beginning in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth he's from the beginning he is acting for his creation he is giving the direction always starts with from god to people and then there, there is a response. We don't want to deny that, but it, it always is starting from God to the people. It always has to be that direction. And Isaiah does recognize that here. And and even, you know, I mean, that this this talk of, of idolatry that does come up briefly, you know, no one has heard, no eye has seen a God besides you. One of the, the very classic texts of Isaiah where he mocks idols it comes up that, you know, idols can't see. Idols can't hear. Idols can't talk, but the one true God can and does, and He always is doing that for the sake of His people. And and again, you put yourself in the shoes of those people. They're in exile, wondering, "Well, where is the Lord? What's He doing? Why aren't we hearing Him? Why aren't we seeing Him right now?" The the prayer for mercy is is a very clear choice here. And and then it, what I think the transition we see then. In verse 5, you, you see the this transition from this prayer asking God to act, then making a move toward confession of sins, which which gets to what we were talking about earlier, how this functions both as law and gospel. The people are asking God to come down and save. They know they need saving. They need saving ultimately from themselves, from their sins. Take us into this transition that Isaiah begins to make, and it looks like it's about the middle of verse 5, where he starts to transition into a, a confession.
1: Yeah, so I, I think here Isaiah recognizes that – he recognizes why God seems to not have his presence among his people, because they they have sinned, they have greatly sinned, and because of that sin, he is righteously angry. Um, if you're talking about the history of the people of Israel, and in particular, idolatry, this is something that they had struggled with for decades and decades and even centuries and god was very patient very slow to anger with them abounding in steadfast love and, and yet they persisted in their chasing after idols which which led to the exile and here i think isaiah is understanding that it, it was the people's faithlessness that, that caused the situation but then he understands that the solution to that problem is not does not reside within him and it does not reside within the people. If there is going to be a, a reconciliation and a right relationship between God and His people, it's going to have to be God who intervenes here, and that process gets started, I think, by a repentance.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm just kind of thinking through the whole from verses five all the way through the end, and, and we were talking earlier how you get this exodus imagery coming up. And I think in the background of some of this confession and asking for mercy and forgiveness, you talked about idolatry. Well, the the example par excellence or whatever the opposite of that is, because this is the worst example of idolatry perhaps, is the golden calf right there at Mount yeah. Sinai. And, and I think you see, you see the repentance here modeling there. Isaiah takes a a page out of Isaiah's playbook. Wait, no, Isaiah takes a page out of Moses' playbook. That's what I wanted to there say. There you go. Yeah, particularly as you get to verses eight and nine as to how Isaiah prays for the Lord's mercy in this case. And as you said, it's it's not based on anything that has to do with the people other than the fact that the people are sinners. The prayer for yeah. forgiveness is based entirely upon the Lord and who he is and what he has said about this people, because this I mean, and well, before we get there, this this people is completely sinful, polluted, has absolutely nothing righteous to offer to God. Take us into to some of the things that Isaiah says in terms of particularly verses five and six and seven as to yeah. how this sin has just completely corrupted the people.
1: Yeah, I think you get this image very, very clearly in verse 6, where Isaiah speaks in no uncertain terms what the condition of the people is. They are all unclean. They're righteous, uh, All their righteous deeds are the deeds that they thought were righteous. Uh, anything that they... Uh, could think that they could bring before God and get some favor are like dirty rags polluted not not good for anything he He compares the people to to leaves that are kind of disconnected from from their branches and get blown around by by the wind I mean in six, he's just basically confessing that he and and the people that he is uh proclaiming to. They just aren't work worth a lick, right? Mm, yeah. um, and I think that the, the the sin that they are dealing with—I I know that I've mentioned it a lot—in idolatry. Um, Isaiah flat out comes and says it in verse seven. What's what's the problem? What what makes it so that they are all unclean? What makes it so that their deeds are worthless? What makes them like leaves blown around? Is that there's nobody calling upon His name? Um, he recognizes that in the people they're serving that God is not present uh, for their good because there's nobody calling upon His name. God has hidden Himself from them because there's nobody who who kind of gets excited and, and gets out of bed to to hold on to God and His promises. And he he just really hammers at home here in verses six and seven. Mm.
0: I mean, it sounds like as much as there is a call here for the Lord to return to his people, within this confession of sins, there's also the reverse, a call for the people to return to the Lord. I'm thinking back here in Isaiah in chapter 55. The prophet says, seek the Lord while he may be found, call upon him while he is near. And you get this, you know, let the wicked forsake his way, the unrighteous man, his thoughts, let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. So it's its almost like both things are happening. As as much as there is a prayer, Lord, come down and save us, there is the prayer, Lord, help us to return to you. Hel- help us to yeah, come help. back, to seek you as you have commanded us to do.
1: Yeah, I mean, even here, I, I think you could... You can reduce it to Lord, help us, help us even call upon Your name yeah. here. I mean, I I, I don't know if this, this is good, right, and proper, but I mean, what what can you do less than call upon the name of God? Hmm. I mean, He's not He's not asking for the the strength of the ability to do a grand thing here. Just call upon the Lord's name, seek
0: Him. Right, I mean, it's such a such a simple thing given in the second commandment to to make use of the name of the Lord, and and what yeah. a what a gift that really is, and to do so, and the, to to try to tie some of these these ends together, to do so not based upon the strength that is within ourselves or any deeds that come from us. I mean, our that's a very striking image. Even our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. All these great things yeah. that we think we're doing. Are like polluted garments. We we think they're so grand, and and you know the golden calf's not a bad example of that. What a wonderful God we have, this beautiful golden calf, and we're going to worship him, and that's the worst yeah. thing that they could have done. How often when we when we attempt to please God with our works, do we do just the exact opposite, and and they become a polluted... So so Lord, help us to seek you, help us to call upon you, to return to you, not based on the strength of our works. For they are like polluted garments, but help us to seek you on the strength of you, on your command yeah. and your promise.
1: Yeah, which which leads right into to verses eight and nine, where where Isaiah I think very clearly throws himself. Um, he throws himself at the defeat of the God that he knows, that God who does come down for the sake of his people, the God who does come down um to, to bring them joy and life and peace with him. Hmm. Because when when he talks about that, he now goes into two images with God being the father and God being the potter and people uh, being the clay. So he, he is transitioning into that understanding that if, if this is going to work, come down Oh Lord, do, do your thing, be our Father, be the one who molds us, so that we might receive you to our benefit.
0: Right. So so and this I said earlier, and maybe this is Isaiah taking a page out of Moses' playbook here, when Moses intercedes for the people of Israel after the golden calf incident. And he does so not because of any merit of the people, but precisely of who God is. Moses appeals to God for God's sake to forgive the people don't and among among other things don't let anyone say lord that you brought the people out of Egypt so that you could kill them here this is this is about the honor of your name of of you of who you are as the one who has called this people your own so be true to yourself is the prayer that Moses offers and now Isaiah is doing the same thing so start with the the first image the image of father
1: yeah I mean you you get this image, I think in in, in christianity very strong and i the mm-hmm. first place that really uh, jogs my mind is is dealing with the Lord's Prayer, which starts our Father right. who art in heaven. i mean we we talk about God being our Father because number one, He created us, and number two, He is the Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the the fulfillment of all of the promises that he made to come down and save his people. Mm -hmm. So he's appealing to, to that one who by his divine action gave humanity its life and by whose divine action gave humanity its salvation. Mm. I I think that's a, that's a beautiful image.
0: Oh, this is huge, Pastor Ulmer, especially the connection that you made. The fact that God is the father of Jesus and Jesus has made himself our brother, which means that we can call God Father in a very intimate way. With these words, to, to, to quote Luther, with these words, God tenderly invites us to believe that he is our true Father. Oh, I mean, the, we, we could spend the whole time talking about just that introduction to the Lord's Prayer and these words. What a great comfort it is that God is our Father. And this is tied very, very closely to the fact that that we have a brother, Jesus Christ, which means that that God is our Father not to hurt us, not to hate us, but to love us, to to show his dear children nothing but his his gracious gifts. This is this is such a huge thing. And to connect it to the Lord's prayer is fantastic. That that Yeah Go
1: ahead. Oh, and that relationship is not based on the that the acts and the right. deeds that make us children, but it's based on that that parental relationship that, yeah. that doesn't change ever, yeah. that relationship that's based on who God is and the promises that he has made. Kind of like you said earlier, Isaiah taking a page out of Moses' uh, textbook back when the people did sin with the golden calf, Moses reminded God... Not not just to not make other people think that he was bringing them out to the desert to kill them, but God, have mercy on them, so that you can fulfill the promises that mm-hmm. you made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yeah. It is all based on the relationship, not on the, the deeds of the children.
0: Right, right, and and God's fatherhood is is the basis of that. That doesn't change. That the picture, the earthly picture. You know, you you and I are both earthly fathers, and and yeah. and so too, you know, we have we have children and they are our children regardless of of what they do we love them as earthly fathers and and as jesus will say in the sermon on the mountain and we're sinners <laughs> you know even we're evil and and still we know how to give good gifts to our children how much more then will will the father in heaven who is our father by virtue of our brother jesus christ who has died for us how much more yeah. will he give us good gifts uh, it's just i mean this yeah. There there is so much comfort when we just slow down with the Lord's prayer. And it's very easy to to race right through it. But slow down with just those two words, our Father. Oh, that there there's so much comfort in that.
1: Amen. Amen.
0: Yeah, and so I mean so Isaiah, you know, he he starts that way. Now O Lord, you are our Father. And then he he, he builds on that, I think. We are the clay you are the potter, we are all the work of your hand. What does what this image, how does that add to, build on what he's already said?
1: Yeah, I, I think right here you have an image where Isaiah is rightly confessing who, who human beings are in the face of God, in the face of that Heavenly Father, that he, he is the one who does things to us. Right, so like a potter takes a, a lump of clay and has the the ability and the capacity to make something useful and beautiful out of that uh, once not very pretty and not very useful material. That that God can do that to Isaiah, and that God can can do that to this people who who are unclean, whose righteous deeds are nothing, God can take them and make them his and, and use them to his glory.
0: Mm. And the, the image of clay and potter, I think, recalls a bit the creation of Adam. You, you've got God working with clay, with dirt, with soil, forming that soil into a man and then breathing into him the breath of life. That this this creation that God did in, in Adam and Eve. And then you could think of the Exodus as a new creation. Isaiah here is, is praying for that same thing. Breathe life into us once more, Lord, as you did for Adam, as you did with, with your, with your spirit, with your wind that parted the Red Sea. Do for us again, be, be the, be the potter. Let us be the clay, which is, there's great freedom In in simply being the clay (laughs) and and letting God be God and knowing that I don't have to be, because when I try, I usually do a pretty sorry job of it.
1: Yeah, and I I think that's one of the, the biggest tyrannies of this world is that I think the world in our own sinful flesh says... I understand that there's a lot of freedom in being God's clay, but if, if I do that, I give up my agency, mm-hmm. and what's important for me as a person is to, to be me and to be a free person. And I think that our the world and our sinful nature, they, they take us so far astray by not allowing us to see how good we have it as God's creation.
0: Right. And, and when, we, when we start to see ourselves as the potter, then, I mean, to, to kind of wrap up this whole text together, when we start to see ourselves as the potter, then when God comes down, he comes as our enemy because he's a rival to me. If I'm going to set myself up as God, then when God comes down, I've got to fight against him because I, there can't be more than one God. I've, I've got to be the God, I think. And, and that's where I'm going to find out that the mountains are quaking in a way that I can't win this fight. Yeah. But when God comes that That's right. That's right. And when God comes down though and and I'm simply his his clay and he is the potter, what does he do? What is the creation that he makes? It is a good creation. He looked at everything he, and it was very good. And and in a way that I I could never do that. When I if I try to do that, what am I going to get? A polluted garment. But but when yeah, God maybe, creates Yeah,
1: maybe or a lump of useless material.
0: That's right. Yeah. That's right. But when God creates, it is good. Let, let him be the potter, be the clay, be his, be his creation. And, and in Christ, it is a new creation. It is a good creation above all. What, I mean, what a fantastic thing. And again, this is how Isaiah is, is praying and bringing the people to pray with him in this repentance that can receive God coming down as good news, as salvation.
1: Amen. And I think going into verse 9, I think Isaiah is looking forward to that day where um, he and the people that God has called to be his own people can, can live in the relationship where um, God is not angry with his people, and that his people don't have to fear God's presence. But because they are his people, made by God's declaration, made by God's act, that they can live... Uh, together um, in peace, they can live together in joy, they can live together um, without need for for any material thing, no need for food, no need for water, no need for light anymore, because they are with their Creator and Redeemer.
0: Yeah, be, be not so terribly angry, O Lord, remember not iniquity ever, forever, forever behold please look we are all your people which which again that is to appeal to who god is we are Correct. all your people this isn't it's not so much about about us it's about who god is you have declared us your people oh lord be faithful
1: yeah. remember remember who you declared and made us to be and i think that speaks to every christian today too because we are all his people on account of jesus christ and what he has done The only reason why there is a church, the only reason why there is a Lutheran church, a Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod is because God loved us so much that he did not even spare his son so that we might be his people at his declaration. Hmm. I always love um, St. John when he says in 1 John 3 that um, talking about how it's wonderful to be God's children that Mm. he declares us to be God's children because of his declaration that we, we are his
0: children. Mm. Yeah. Beloved, we are God's children. Now we are God's children now because he has declared it. So Pastor, we've got about three minutes here as, as we reflect upon these nine verses from Isaiah 64, uh, we're in the season of Advent. I, I think we've made several Advent connections with the Lord coming down and how we would receive him in faith as savior How do we make use of a text like this as Christians today?
1: Yeah, I think you have a text here that is uh, a prayer written by somebody who is seeing a time in the history of Israel where um, God's presence is going to be seen as a presence of judgment because of the sin of the people. And, And yet Isaiah knows that there is a presence of God that is good news, um, calling people to repentance and calling God to remember his promises. And as we as Christian people are in Advent, awaiting the coming of Jesus, we, we see how God answers Isaiah's prayer in the person of Jesus our brother who lived a perfect life in our place and who who died to take onto his body our sins and who was raised from the dead to assure that on account of his empty tomb, we will have life with our God uh, forever. And as we await his presence in the second coming, that we, we know that God answers Isaiah's prayer. We know that God answers our prayer in Jesus Christ and that we wait patiently for him.
0: Pastor Matt Ulmer is the pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Bishop, Texas, helping us this morning with Isaiah 64, verses 1 through 9. Pastor Ulmer, thanks for being our guest today.
1: You're very welcome. It was a pleasure.
0: Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. What happens when God comes down? Mountains quake, fires burn. Those who are the Lord's enemies receive judgment But those who are the Lord's friends, those who receive him in repentance and faith, recognizing who they are as sinners, that they have nothing to offer God, but that he gives to them freely. They receive him as Savior, the Savior that we have in Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, ascended, and returning on the last day when the heavens are rent and we see him and he takes us to our eternal home.